welcome to Go Blue 2. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Apologies for the muted tones, but hopefully you all can hear the excitement in my voice. What a weekend, a historic weekend, dare I say, in the men's college tennis world. Some fantastic results across the board, across the country. Joining me on today's show, as they do week in, week out, to break it all down, the two other members of our Cracked Rackets College Tennis Holy Trinity here. Let's start where we always start. You know him as the former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, the favorite writer of everyone on our website, CrackedRackets.com, and of course the other half of Baylor's Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I Probably not as good as you're doing. I, I know you're feeling great, man, after this past weekend. So uh, I know Chris and I are are in for a fun episode here. I knew you guys would laugh when I snuck in that new Go Blue in the intro. The moment they won, I was like, I'm doing that as soon as we start the podcast. And again, I apologize. I didn't even finish my sentence. I'm so excited. The reason I have these muted tones, I am live from my hotel room in Cleveland. I'm going to be part of the Cleveland Challenger team this week, helping out at the event. So I don't want to wake up too many of the people next to me, maybe some former Ohio State Buckeyes around here. So I'll try and stay pretty Pretty calm, pretty muted, but of course the man who always brings a little color, a little flair to these shows, the third member of our Holy Trinity. You know him as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of mother, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor. He quotes Henry Ford, and yes, he's got both shoulders back in action. It's Chris Hallioris. Chris, hey, great shot to you. I don't know how you keep up with all of this SEC action. I look every time we start these podcasts, and I'm like, oh, wait. There were like seven 4-3 matches in the SEC this weekend. I guess it's just another, another typical weekend in the South. Yeah, crazy crazy to think some of, some of those results that happened, huh? But, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's always fun. I mean, I, it would probably be a lot easier if I just covered the, the big 12 aka big six but you know I, I mean you only have a couple matches to cover all good but only a couple yeah no i mean the real tragedy of the past weekend i told you both i was going to be driving to champagne as i was on the call for the illinois northwestern match at atkins and i was like chris i need you to stay put i need you to provide updates so i'm not doing anything illegal and trying to watch these streams as i'm driving of course you're like no i gotta go hang out with my granddaughter as if like that's a cool thing to do no of course i can understand that but of course that meant i immediately had to turn on the stream catch the end of the match because we did have it's not quite fair to say history but we did have the ending of one of perhaps the saddest win streaks of my college tennis fandom we want to talk about that today talk about again uh texas a&m knocking off baylor and then of course the rest of texas a&m's past week because what a week it's been for the aggies i want to talk about all the sec madness as always also want to key in on a couple of other performers oklahoma state usf both having crazy weekends so we'll touch on them and then of course at the end offer our updated 
updated top 10 rankings. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out, week in, week out here on the Great Shot Podcast because of the support we get from our friends at Turner Tennis. And again, I'm going to keep things brief today because we're starting this podcast a little later than promised. And I know, Maddie, we're way past your bedtime, so we want to get you nice and tucked in as soon as possible. But of course, this podcast made possible due to our friends at Turner. It's that purplish, bluish hue grip that everyone uses because it's the best in the business. It, it gets tackier. Uh, it's the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat. It's performance in hot and humid conditions unmatched. If you are looking to get in on the Turner action, you can email them at sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. You mentioned the fact that you were sent there by Cracked Rackets. You get a couple extra free samples thrown in as well. They'll take care of you, our friends at Turner Grip have been providing the best grip in the business for more than 20 years. Why stop now? Go to Turner Grip or again, call 1-800-554-3707, email sales at uniquesports.com. With that in mind, gentlemen, the reason I started this podcast, perhaps one could argue, is for a moment like today for the first time since 2001, and let's talk about the scene before 2001 when the last Michigan victory over Ohio State occurred. A, it was in the honeymoon phase of the George W. Bush presidency. There had been no, you know, war in Iraq, no war in Afghanistan, no tanking economy. We all still love Georgie. Oh, he's just a folksy Southerner. Uh, of course, 2001, pre-9-11, pre the birth of my younger brother, Nicholas Gruskin. He was not a factor in this world. In fact, I think all of these college freshmen Probably not born the last time Michigan knocked off Ohio State in men's tennis, but the Wolverines, who we have to remember, had a two-week hiatus in their season, their second half of their national kickoff weekend cut off due to a COVID outbreak within the Michigan Athletic Department, Wolverines in Ann Arbor, knock off the Buckeyes for the first time since 2001. It was a 4-2 victory on clinch, but 4-3 overall in the end. Wolverines take the doubles point with wins at 1-2 and two doubles and then get a straight set win from Andre Styler at 2. Three set wins from Patrick Maloney at 3. And then Matthias Seymour coming back from a breakdown to get the clinch at 4. I have a lot of thoughts. I could probably do 40 minutes on just this match. I'm not going to. Don't worry. Instead, I'm going to cede the floor first to you, Maddie. We were talking about this a little bit before uh, the podcast started, but your reaction to this victory from Michigan. Is it a fluke win? Is it a perfect, you know, a perfect match from the Wolverines? Or are they just maybe better than the Buckeyes this season? Yeah, no, I'm I'm not going to say it was a fluky win or, you know, they're that much better than Ohio State. I just think they were well prepared. They showed up. They played a very good match uh, last weekend, and, and they earned the victory. I think it's as simple as that. I think we know both teams are, are very, very good, top echelon teams in the country. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, it, to me, this match really came down to that doubles point, man. You've got to be able to win doubles sets 
and doubles points if you want to win matches like this. And when you kind of stack the singles lineup together and you look at it, you're like, okay, I can understand, you know, Cannon Kingsley beating Andrew Fenty at number one. Makes sense for Ohio State. J.J. Tracy sliding down to number six. Okay, maybe a little bizarre there. But, yeah, he's going to get that win over Jacob Bickerstaff. Makes sense. Um, again, you look at Andre Styler over John McNally indoors at Michigan. Yeah, I love Andre Styler. I can see how he wins that match. And Maloney's been playing very well all year. So for him to get that win at number three, no surprise to me there. Seymour, that's a guy that's bumped down, you know, in the lineup who's played higher. So I expect him to win that match over Justin Boulay. Like you look at it and the scores, you're like, yeah, I can, I can see how all of these matches kind of went. And at the end of the day, in a match that's as close as this, you've got to find a way to win that dubs. And Michigan was able to do that and play a better doubles match. They earned the victory. The most surprising thing about this Ohio State team this season, because they've had a lot of success across the board, they're nine and two now, and their worst singles flights are the three and four position, where they're six and two overall so far in the dual match season. If six and two is your worst flight, you're doing something right. Of course, you look at their strength of schedule. They've the ranked teams they've played are Virginia, Northwestern, Illinois, and now Michigan. They're two and two in those four matches, but. You know, in the two matches they lost, they lost doubles points. And, you know, Coach Tucker has played around with a bunch of different teams this season. I think you look across the board, one, two, three, uh, four, five, six. I think he's used nine different combinations thus far. Now, McNally and Cash, we've talked about this before. They're a top 10 team. When they played their best tennis, they're really, really good. But, you know, they ran into a budsaw, a team that we think might be the best team in the country in Andrew Fenty and Matthias Seymour. And in typical Ty Tucker fashion, I believe he played Cash and McNally at the number two doubles position against Michigan State earlier in the weekend. I don't know if there was a challenge there or not, but they belong at that number one position in Michigan can match up and beat the Buckeyes there. That's what they were able to do. Again, it was a one-break-of-serve 6-4 victory for Fenty and Seymour, but that's all that needed to get done for two of the top five teams in the country. And then, you know, to Coach Steinberg's credit, he's played around a lot with the bottom half of that doubles lineup. Styler and Johnston were struggling early in the season, and, you know, in his biggest match, this biggest moment, he turns back to that team, which had so much success last season, and they deliver the goods. They were up a break for the majority of that number two double set. They get broken back immediately, but then 4-5 a return game, they break on a deuce point, and that's why you put Connor Johnston in the lineup, because he puts so much pressure on you as a returner. He comes up with these swinging backhand volleys that was the clinch on the doubles point then they take a one love lead and Chris this is where I want to bring you into the conversation because shout out to you now that people on Twitter are talking about um you know what is the match calculus for matches they're citing me and in reality they should be citing you because you're the professor the forefather of the match calculus I have Ohio State as a two-point team right now I think Cannon Kingsley, you probably take as a favorite to win every match he plays. I think J.J. Tracy, as long as he's at the five or six singles position, you take him to win every match he plays. Outside of that, Chris, I don't know about this Ohio State team, and I do think McNally, Selig, once we get to NCAAs, they're a whole nother monster. But again, you look at the way this played out, Chris, Michigan winning the heart of the singles lineup, two, three, and four. We were talking about it a little bit beforehand. We thought the match calculus for them, I believe, would be uh, number two, number four, number five. 
we were pretty close on that. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm with you on on just just kind of where we see Ohio State right now in, in general, right? I mean, I think we kind of expect. I mean, if you looked at this match a month, two months ago, let's say, you're gonna say Kyle Seelig, Pat Maloney. I take Seelig all day, right? I mean, that's no, coming into the year. That's that's not where me, you're gonna if you listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah not you. But uh, but you got to take you got to take Kyle Seelig, you know, playing playing in that spot as one of the we we called him one of the best number you know twenty six year old number three guys <laughs> to to use your words, Gruskin. But yeah, I mean, great a great spot for them that just hasn't been great yet. Uh, I I think you're probably accurate in that. Yeah, by time maybe we get around to NCAAs, they get uh, you know they get some more playing time under their belt, they get a little healthier, things may change, but. Uh, but yeah, I, I also agree on on the fact that Tracy and and uh, and Kingsley should be locks. Now, the fact that I I actually would have loved to hear the reaction if you got to uh, do some sort of post match uh, you know recap with Coach Tucker had had Robbie Cash not come back and beaten Nick Beatty there because I think he was down a break uh, the majority there. of the third set. In that third set, right? He broke back for four all. Yeah, and it looked like so. It looked like BD was, you know, was going to get that. And at that point, I thought, wow, Coach Tucker might have actually done himself in here, yeah. where he might split those matches, where he might have had a better shot at taking them both had he left Tracy five and, and Robbie Cash six. And I don't know how I, I was with you. My very first question for the match was, was doubles challenge. Did he try to put cash and McNally at two and get challenged? I don't know the answer. I would like to know the answer because I, otherwise I'm not sure why he did that against Michigan state other than maybe to get the other guys some time against a better doubles team, you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, Tracy, Tracy's not six. I mean, cash did great. He beat Beatty, So you can't fault him there, but, but Tracy's the five guy there uh, for, for sure. But but yeah, hats off to Michigan. I mean, they they beat him at home. Uh, that's that's what you got to do, and that's a, that's a huge win, especially for you know for a team as we get into probably seeing you know you can already see the uh, you know a poor man's computer rankings, if you will, uh, on the site. But when the ITA finally comes out with them here in probably another two to three weeks or so. Um, you know, the Big Ten is clearly just going to be at a little disadvantage from not having played each other. So those wins are huge for the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Illinois. Any wins they get against each other are going to be monstrous. Yeah, and just a couple of things I want to add, and Matty, I'll give you the final word on the match. A, they were pretty much simultaneous tiebreakers at the number one and two singles positions. And for Michigan, you just had to play them even. You had to get the split there in the top two, and they were able to do that. And I think for Andrew Fenty, who I believe served for that first set at one, I know he didn't get the win, but he did his job. He kept that match close. He kept them on the board there, kept them competitive. And then, you know, the fact that Styler was able to close out his match in straights, and what a performance from him. If you watch that final service game, I think he came to the net on three of the four points he won, hit some decisive plus one forehands. He's back. And he just clearly thrives in this big match environment. Uh, you know, lastly, and I'm not patting myself on the back for this, but I've had multiple coaches tell me that they think Patrick Maloney might be the best player on Michigan's team. And given his results through the first part of the season, I'm not quite ready to say that, but he might be the best position 
in their lineup thus far at number three. I mean, he's been a rock, and he's like 6'3", 6'4", plays big, aggressive tennis, which works obviously very well when you're playing indoors, but... Given that he is, I'm not going to say a lock at three, but he is a lock to be competitive at three, right? No matter who they're playing, you're not just going to pencil, okay, that's a loss for, you know, Michigan at three, Sons, it being North Carolina. Uh, that's a huge victory for Michigan. And then to have the luxury at, of Seymour at four, Beattie at five. I know Tracy worked Bickersteth this time, but I kind of like Bickersteth at six. Matty, I, I mean, the consensus seems to be, Yes, in the rankings, it was an upset, but that the batter team won on this day. Your final thoughts for Ann Arbor? Yeah, I agree. And, and you guys will see where, you know, I have, you know, Michigan and, and Ohio State stacked up in our rankings when we get to that in a little bit. Um, this was just, this was a match where, look, Gruskin, you know better than anybody. These two teams have gone at it over the past mm-hmm. 20 years or whatever it is. And I mean, there's been some epic, epic matches Michigan just hasn't found a way to get over that hump and they were able to do that here. They played very well and and it was impressive. Now, look, there, we still have a long way to go, right? And and they're going to have to come back and and you know, play an Illinois team that's been very good this season. So, um I think it's just it's one of those matches where you can really build off of it and if you use it in the right way, um you know, it could propel them to a, a really good season here. Yeah, and look, I, I one more thing. Sorry. 4-2, number two doubles. Connor Johnston gets broken. My worst fear is coming true. It's like, ugh, this was the concern. This is Johnston's struggles. His service game keeps getting broken. For them to get that break at 5-4, that was the belief Michigan needed. That was like, oh, man, we came back, and despite having the hiccup, we still won the doubles point. We can beat these guys. And you could just feel that in the atmosphere. And again, For Ohio State on the road, we've talked all season long and having talked to people around the program, they haven't had the sort of court time preparation they're accustomed to this point of the year, and they'll be there come May. And then they're probably, you know, if you're a betting man, you bet on Ohio State to beat Michigan at the Big Ten Conference Tournament because they're going to come out with a fire unbeknownst to mankind. I think that's Tucker's first loss against Michigan since his first season or whatever it may be, and so... Yeah, either way, fantastic college tennis match. Shout out to the Wolverines. To have the two-week hiatus to get that sort of victory makes the whole season worth it. And honestly, I think we would have gotten them last year. We deserve this victory. So go blue, baby. With that in mind, we go from my homerism to Maddie's homerism. The Baylor Bears are consensus number two team in the country, national indoor finalists. Yes, they lost to TCU, but the way they performed, it was straight up a business trip for them at the indoors, and they seem to be rolling out of it. And yet, a rematch for them against Texas A&M in, I believe, uh, I believe this match was in College Station. And, you know, we say it all the time really easy to beat a team once beating any team twice just once you know there are no secrets between the two squads it becomes really difficult particularly at the highest level particularly given the thin margins between these teams Texas A&M Sans Hadi Habib 
knocking off the Baylor Bears. They once again steal the doubles point from Baylor, taking the number two and three doubles positions. And then, get this, get wins from Vastro at one. We can understand that. Aguilar at two. We can understand that. But then Bjorn Thompson, the Texas Tech transfer, delivering the goods. He knocks off Spencer Furman, 6-1-7-6 at the number six singles position. Maddie, you watch this match closer probably than anyone in the country. The floor is yours. Yeah, well, AM didn't just steal the doubles point. They just destroyed and, and dominated the doubles point. Mm-hmm. Um, all three courts got out to an early break for AM. That was not a close doubles doubles match at all. Um, I was I was disappointed um in the effort in in the doubles. Really from all three courts. I, I just I thought it should have been better. Um I don't think anybody you know, for, for Baylor played particularly that well in doubles. I can't really point to one guy and say, yeah, you know, he was feeling it. It was like all six guys just, you know, I don't want to say they weren't prepared for the match, but they just, they didn't come out really with, I don't think the right intensity. And, you know, they had beaten this team in the past. And, you know, what's interesting is they actually lost the doubles point to A&M back at the kickoff weekend. So you would have thought that this would have been an opportunity for them to come out and kind of avenge that doubles point did not happen. And you kind of went into singles and said, okay, well, minus Habib, you know, Baylor's still got a very good chance to win four singles matches here. Um, You would think that would be the case and definitely didn't happen that way. Now there's a couple of caveats here. You you want to say something, Gruskin, go ahead. Quickly before you get into those caveats, because I think you nailed it on the head. The word complacent comes to mind. I just feel like Baylor played a really complacent match. There was no edge in them at any point, and given that's just not what you've come to expect from this senior team. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, and again, I don't really know. Like in talking to some of the guys afterwards, like that's not what they said, but just from watching it, like that's just kind of how it appeared to me. Um, you know, they they noticed that Habib was out of the lineup and just I don't know if they took their foot off the gas a little bit or, or what it was. But, um, you know, A&M's too talented of a team, uh, you know, to to do that against. And, you know, you lose doubles points like that and it, it will come back to haunt you. And it did in this match. Yeah. And I think if you're a Baylor Bear fan couple of silver linings. A, Sven Locke got a three-set win at number three. Now, yes, it was over Noah Schachter, but Sven Law's just hurting for wins. And so for him to get that victory, that could be big for the Bears moving forward. The second thing is, you know, again, it was a three-set match for Vashro, uh, who took it over Matthias Soto at that number one position. It was, you know, Adrian Boitan clearly needing to find his rhythm of late. He loses uh, at the two position, but you know, if you're Baylor, you lose that breaker at six. If that match goes free, uh, three, it did feel like Spencer was really starting to get his grip on things. Let's look at it from the flip side now, uh, Chris. Texas A&M beaten up in the SEC uh, early here in the year. They now uh, get a much-needed win after they fumbled against Ole Miss last weekend after they lost to Florida. Your thoughts on this performance for the Habibless Aggies? Well, up until this point, it was good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's we're only at what Thursday was that when this match was Thursday? I think yeah. uh, you know we're at Thursday in the in the week all pre weekend, if you will, and the the Habibless Aggies are on a high, looking uh, looking really good. Uh, yeah, very honestly, very surprised. I thought I I really wasn't all that concerned uh, when Baylor lost the doubles point, just thinking that without Habib. 
uh, it was going to be rough going. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, Bjorn Thompson was the guy. I mean, we knew, we knew that, that, that A&M was going to be able to battle for sure at the, at the top two spots anyway. The question was going to be after that, right? What, what happens and where are they going to find another one? And Bjorn Thompson it proved to be the guy that could do it. And he, you know, I'll be interested to see now when Habib come back, comes back, what happens here, right? We've, we've now seen Marcon out. We've seen Pierce Rollins in. We saw Pierce Rollins go today and play four for that team. So he almost looks like he's jumped to the lead of the pack of all of those, the, the everybody after Shakter kind of guys, right? Um, he, he looks like he's jumped to the lead there. But has Bjorn Thompson found a way in, or is he still the you know the odd guy out? I, I don't know, but it's a it's an interesting dilemma, uh, and, and it's a team that it's hard to make hard to make heads or tails of these guys right now. There's a couple schools out there like that, right? But you know, you go and I'm sure we'll get into it. But you go and you beat Baylor, and maybe part of it's the high, and you turn around and you come and you throw out what they did against Arkansas. Uh, I mean. Yeah. No, I mean, so again, we'll get to that momentarily just to finish the thought on Baylor, Maddie, uh, because I want to give you the final word here. It's a confounding doubles point that they lose here in this match. And, it, you know, they've lost a couple of doubles points now. And, uh, you know, for them, it's just, I mean, they still got wins in three of the bottom four singles positions, and they were still right there across the board in these matches. And so they still do have this huge margin for error. I guess when you look at this loss, 4-3 on the road, I have no qualms about this Baylor team moving forward. I assume you don't either. Yeah, I'll tell you why I'm not worried about this from the Baylor perspective. And you guys might not know this. Maybe you do, but Adrian Boitan sprained his ankle severely early in the second set of that match with Aguilar. He was actually up a break. Uh, 3-1, I believe, in the second set. Sprained his ankle bad, and he just, I mean, that was it. Like, he literally couldn't move. I don't know if you guys watched it or not, but, I mean, he was he was out. So, he, in a way, he kind of handed that match to yes. Aguilar, not worried about that. So, that's okay. Soto and Vashiro, look, Vashiro doesn't lose. I've been that's trying just to a tell good you match. guys this. It's just a great match. Yeah, I've been trying to tell you guys now for, for a little while that Val Vashiro doesn't lose matches, and he, and he doesn't. He wins all the time. And now Spencer, so Baylor's surest point is number six. It's been that way the whole year. This was Spencer. Spencer's first loss. Charlie Broom is a little upset that you said that. Yeah, but I mean, you looked at coming into this match. I have the number. For the record, I have the numbers in front of me. Charlie, or at the number five position, Baylor's 14 and one. At six, they're 14. uh, Excuse me. At five, they're 17 and one. At six, they're 14 and two. Just throwing it out there. Right. But one of those losses is this match. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is, look, Spencer, this was actually his first match back. He'd been really sick. So he had had actually not played a couple of matches. Mm -hmm. We saw Finn Bass at Wake Forest. We Mm -hmm. saw Ryan Dickerson against Arizona State. So Spencer was just coming back. Look, he can play Bjorn Thompson tomorrow, and I will take Spencer in that match. (laughs) Good for Bjorn. Great win. It's not happening again. So if these two teams play, Coach Denton, I suggest you don't put Bjorn at number six. That'll be a loss. So, (laughs) look, the matches that were lost here, you know, the only one you can really look at and say, okay, this could happen again would be court one. Soto against Vashiro, that's fine. Every other court, I'm not worried about it. So here's the thing, and er, it's not really here's the thing. 
I, I agree with you. Uh, I will point out for Texas A&M uh, why it's so important for them for Bjorn Thompson is because they are without Barnaby Smith, right, the rest of the year. He is injured. He's out for this season. So for him to get that victory, that is huge, huge amount of confidence for Coach Denton, the Aggies, who are now can kind of be like, well, maybe we have some solutions at the bottom of their lineup. But that's a perfect segue into the SEC madness we saw unfold <clears throat> this weekend because, of course, as soon as the podcast was published, I imagine every Arkansas Razorback fan across the nation had a big dartboard with Chris Hallioris' face on it when he immediately was like, well, Arkansas, when we had our conversation last week, how many SEC teams get in? He was like, well, Arkansas is not going to get in. Well, maybe, just maybe, Chris, Arkansas has opened up a pathway for themselves as they knock off the Aggies at home. They take the doubles point and then get wins at the number two position, number three position. Position and then number five singles position, of course, A&M playing that match without Hattie Habib as well. But Chris, 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 your reaction to the Razorbacks and this victory? I don't. This is two years in a row, by the way. Last year at the expense of Baylor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like it's Arkansas picked. They just well, I think, one match. I think, and it's probably not funny to make this joke given we've been living amongst a pandemic for the past year, but clearly the Baylor team was like, all right, we're going to give you this victory, but we're also going to give you the bug that makes you lose to Arkansas. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know what it, what it is. They, they managed to pull off one big one here in, in the last two years. Um, and, you know, when we get at this point now, when we get down to a computer ranking scenario, that win might very well be enough to make them a tournament team. I mean, that is going to be a huge win. I fully expect Texas A&M to end up being, you know, right around a top 10 team. So a win over a top 10 team, I don't care whether they're eight or 12 or whatever it may be. Those, those points that Arkansas is going to get for that win are going to be huge. And when you're talking about trying to battle other number 42 type teams which is generally where that cut line is uh there's nobody at 42 has got a win over a top 10 team so that's that's just a monster win for arkansas that may very well uh, get them in the tourney and and it's not a discussion where it's oh well if you put them in then you take someone else out because it's a committee no they yes there's a committee but they pretty much run right straight by the rankings so uh you know that may be a plus one scenario for the sec and yeah i mean just just unbelievable win for Arkansas. Uh, no excuses to me for A&M losing it two and three in that match. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing. And for A&M, they flipped Rollins for uh, Guido Marson, who slid into the number four singles position in this Arkansas match. And he actually got the win at four. And Bjorn Thompson, another win for them at six. But you know, you can understand them dropping doubles, given that they're still trying to work out a couple of new teams. But to lose two in straight sets, to lose three in straight sets, that's just unacceptable. Like, you just yeah. can't have that happen if you're the A&M Aggies. Of course, they then bounce back today and drop the doubles point, I believe, drop six first sets in singles, if memory serves me correct, and yeah. come back and win today uh, as they knock off a number 25 Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Maddie, 
you look at this A&M team now, they are 11-4 overall. The losses come to Baylor, to Florida, at Ole Miss, and at Arkansas, and yet they've beaten Baylor. They've beaten Oklahoma State on the road. They've beaten Mississippi State on the road. What do you make of this A&M team? Yeah, it's hard to say, right? We know they're super talented. This was my pick to win the SEC. (laughs) You guys know it well. I really like this team. I was very high on this team, but they've just shown to be very, very inconsistent this year. Sometimes they play great. You can tell they're energized. They get up for matches like they did against Baylor. You could tell they were very focused, you know, and then they come out against Arkansas. It's like a totally different team. They've just really been riding a wave, and it's just – far too up and down because you know come tournament time and everything somebody will come up and clip you like you have got to find a way to get a little bit of consistency here and they're too talented even minus barney smith who you know we all like and and he would have been a, a big piece lower in the lineup for them you know when habib comes back i mean they just they have too much talent um they've got to find a way to just right the ship and just match in match out start playing up to their capabilities and then they'll be fine but again they've just way too inconsistent right now yeah and do they win this match with Habib probably but you can't beat Baylor without Hattie Habib and then use that as an excuse after you lose to Arkansas and so that would be my big takeaway again if you're an Aggie fan and trying to justify it to yourself by using the verbal jujitsu of oh well we were without Habib and that's fair but guess what even with the crazy win over Baylor uh, and it doesn't matter this season, but AM probably can't be a top eight seed at this point, and that's because of some inconsistent results. But that's just the theme of this SEC conference this year. And Chris, I'm going to list a bunch of results for you, and then I want you three minutes, five minutes, three days, take as long as you need. Talk us through the past weekend of SEC results. Here are some of the notable ones. South Carolina, 5-2 over Ole Miss. Tennessee, 6-1 over Alabama. Florida, 6-1 over Mississippi. Florida, 7-0 over Mississippi State. Georgia, 4-3 over Auburn. Tennessee, 4-3 over Auburn. Mississippi State, 4-3 over South Carolina. Georgia, 4-3 over Alabama. I think I missed a Vanderbilt like LSU match that went 4-3 or there was some other 4-3 match I think that involved LSU at some point this weekend but the point being the margins between these teams even when you look between a team like Tennessee and Auburn that that match is going 4-3 speaks to the quality of this SEC conference break it all down for us what's going on down south yeah well competition as usual but first first off first and foremost is (laughs) Florida clearly the class of the sec yep. right now i mean mm-hmm. so, you know they get the the best of the rest that they hadn't beaten yet really in at least to what's occurred so far in Ole miss and you know and beat them six one and then move on sunday over to mississippi state and take them out seven oh uh i mean and they only dropped in that match at mississippi state they dropped one set uh, I mean, between between singles and doubles, they drop one set to a team that's you know basically right or, you know right around a number twenty ish type team, and they just annihilated them and did the same thing to Ole Miss. I mean, they're just they are now kind of hitting their stride, and when when they win the doubles point like they are doing now, oh, I mean, we, you were almost taking for granted earlier. Ah, we can take doubles from them, and then we only need to find three singles. You lose doubles to them, and it's tough, and they're. 
they're hitting their stride. So they're the class. But everything can I else, quickly, I mean, can I quickly hop in on that Florida point? And Maddie, sure. if you want to say something as well, I apologize. Just hey, the floor is yours, and then you say something I want to comment on, and I say actually the floor is really mine. Um, this is why they put me on the sixth floor of the hotel. But you know, for this Florida team, you're starting to see the outlines of the lineup. Granted, Englandson at one doubles has worked. Riffis and Valley at two doubles, that's a luxury. It's working. Andrade at Shelton, again, I'd say two and three, less a luxury. They're still trying to figure it out. But those teams seem to be finding some continuity. And then we knew who the top three were going to be. But Bicknell at four, Shelton at five, Goodger at six, Maddie, it's working. And I want to give you the final uh, thought on this Florida team. Yeah, no, they're playing as well as anybody because we're country. on the Greif bandwagon, but it seems yeah, well, to be working without him. Look, and I mean, I'm not going to hop off the Greif bandwagon. I think <laughs> you could insert him at number six and you'll be just fine. I think they'll keep rolling. I, I'm not worried about that. But whether it's Goodger, whether it's Greif at six, yeah, no, I agree. I think they have found kind of a, a lineup that they can roll with and be successful. And, and they're hot. I mean, let's just be honest. They are they're streaking right now. I mean, this is a team that nobody wants to play. Um, and if they keep it up, they're, I mean, they have a chance to go all the way. They're that good. I agree with you. But all right, Chris, floor is once again yours. Yeah, I mean, besides that, I, I think the next most impressive thing from the weekend is how many of the top SEC teams out there now are going, holy crap, we better not take Auburn lightly. I mean, 4-3 <laughs> with Tennessee. Now, granted, I think it was 4-1 at the clinch maybe, but, you know, 4-3 there, 4-3 with Georgia. I mean, sure, they don't win one, but nobody expected Auburn to be playing either of those matches to a 4-3 score. I mean, just great results from them. And they've been winning some doubles points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you know, great results from them. Um, obviously, big win for, for my Mississippi State guys against South Carolina before they just wet the bed against Florida. Uh, I mean, that was that was a huge, huge one for them. I mean, they're in that pack, right, where you've got South Carolina, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Kentucky, I mean, Bama, all all of those schools trying to figure out who's the next one. And I'll even throw Georgia in there now because they're clearly out of the top three. Um, You know, all of those schools trying to figure out who's the who's four. And so any of any wins you can get against those other schools are are going to be big. Uh, Yeah, I think that's that that's pretty much it from I think from an SEC perspective, other than, uh, you know, Vandy throws in another loss to middle Tennessee, <laughs> middle Tennessee has just been, they've been tearing it up against mm-hmm. some of these, you know, they're picking clearly, obviously on the bottom ends of the power five conferences, but, uh, and I think they've got a match coming up this week <laughs> with Alabama. And if they could pull that one off, that would be, uh, un- uh, that would be huge for them. But, I'd give uh, them a top 16 seed just on principle at that point. It's be like, you've earned <laughs> I it. Mean, Jimmy Jimmy's done his job setting up the schedule there uh, and, and picking, you know, picking schools that he knows he has a shot to beat that will be worth some good points. Uh, and so, you know, really good job. And I know he's focused a lot on that over the last couple of years, trying to trying to set up, uh, you know, scheduling that makes sense for what's going to get them points. And because they're perennially uh, a school that's right there at that bubble spot uh, and it's tough to, for, to get the points uh, to make it into the NCAA tourney if you don't win your conference there. So uh, I think that's it. My only other follow-up is the comment you made about Texas A&M. I think if we like computer rankings right now would actually, because of the, because there's more 
there's more prize for a big win than there I was is gonna say there's more virtue loss. in beating Baylor right than there is to losing to Arkansas yeah and that they actually look like a number eight in the computer rankings right now it's absurd um, so so yeah I mean you know to you know argue the merits of the of the you know the algorithm behind the the you know the rankings if you will but but yeah I think that's that's something to be to be said which is also right the big killer and I'm still interested to hear if they roll straight to the normal computer rankings or if they throw in uh, some sort of coaches poll component to it much like the old um, you know BCS stuff used to be or whatever uh, simply because you know you look at a, a Michigan now granted they don't even played like five or six matches before the weekend but a school like that that was looking at uh, you know like number 40 in the rankings before beating them because they just hadn't beaten anybody yet now they've got a good win over Ohio State but those are just going to be few and far between chances there. And they won't, they're not going to be able to rack up six top 25 wins. Cause they just don't have those schools in the big, in, in the big 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, that, that's what makes me think that maybe we'll see a, some extra component besides computer rankings. I don't know. Uh, I'm inclined to say, just let it be run it. The big 10 did what the big 10 did. Stanford did what they did. So be it. Let them live with the consequences. It's not like a team that's going to win the NCAA tournament won't get in because of it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There should be an award for the the job that uh, is being done right now at Middle Tennessee State just across the board. And, you know, again, just quickly on the Auburn point, Tyler Stice, their number one singles player, Maxwell Giddens, their number six singles player, both 2-0 and on the weekend. Uh, those are two names who deserve credit, who deserve a shout-out on today's podcast. So shout-out to them. Shout-out as well, by the way, to Johannes Monday, who I think is now 16-3, and overall on the year in dual matches and shout out to Tennessee for getting him 19 matches uh, during this season but you know we said early in the year if he clicks Tennessee can go from being potentially good to really really good conference champion good NCAA semifinals good he has clicked and that is a big reason for a lot of their success a couple more victories for him this past weekend you know I'm surprised Chris I was expecting I would say four minutes on Mississippi State's 4-3 win over South Carolina, maybe even five minutes. You've gotten soft in your old age. I mean, I might have given it more had they not just been completely shellacked by Florida on (laughs) Sunday to the point where, you know, I get my typical text from one of the guys like, uh, you know, on the team afterwards. The first message I get like an hour after the match, well, that was an (laughs) open. Uh, yeah, 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 pretty much, you know. Yeah, you got it. Uh, oh, I mean, funny. yeah. It's it, but but hey, it's not a. Frankly, it's a match they that they and I both look forward to because I think had they played their absolute best and Florida didn't bring their A game, they have a fighting chance. Well, that obviously didn't come anywhere close to happening. They didn't get it, but you, it's not a match you expected to win. But the South Carolina match, absolutely a huge win for them. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair, and it's funny. I uh, I was like, we're going to keep things under control today. We'll keep things short. I still have a couple more topics I want to hit that we have to rapid fire through. So, Maddie, I will just give you quickly final word. Any more thoughts on the SEC? It's a fun conference. I mean, it is, it, but it always has been. This is really no different, guys. Most I mean, exciting just, in the country. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same as it's always been. These matches are so tight, whether you're talking like the sixth and seventh team or the fourth and fifth, you know, they're always really fun matches. So this is par for the course. Let's update this every week, Chris. 
how many teams get in from the SEC conference. We're going to do this every week, just quickly, top of your head. Oh, holy cow. Top of my head, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky. I see South a look Carolina. on Matt's face. He's like, don't you dare ask this question, Gruskin. Ole Miss, A&M, Georgia, Mississippi State, Alabama, all in. That leaves Arkansas, Auburn, LSU, and Vandy. I say off the, off the one win alone, Arkansas gets in. LSU's still a bubble team, but I think they fall. I say Auburn, LSU, Vandy. Is that 10? That's 10. I'm going 10. Matt, you should have a smile oh, on your face. Man. I mean, I was nine last week, and I now I got to throw Arkansas in because of the win. Yeah. Over-unders oh, nine and a half. You want the over or the under? Yeah, I still think I'll lean nine for now. I, I just – we'll see what happens. Ten is but so many. Ten is so many. I mean, I, I just – I have a hard time. Like, ten teams, like, man. that just to me is mind-boggling. Yeah. So, I can't go there yet. Like, there's but, nine locks. I know. There are nine locks. Is Bama okay, a lock? I'll, I'll give you – I was going to say, I'll give you this. If Bama loses to Mississippi State and then – and I got to look at the rest of their SEC schedule. If they lose some other ones that could, I, but I, they're like, you know, yeah, theoretically they could probably fall out. So maybe, but I mean, if they if lose first Bama, round of the SEC, if Bama loses first round yeah. of the SEC tournament, you to know, like when an, they, to like an Auburn or a, an LSU. Yeah, yeah. Then I mean, but they're probably yeah, I'm taking be a in. quick look at the, at the, faux computer rankings to see where they are if that were to come out and that's 32 right now which is still well in uh and lsu at 29 well in that's 10 that's overranked they're not the 29th best that see that's that's absolutely and arkansas 33 there's 11 yeah that's where the crack rackets poll will step in we'll be like come on let, let me just adjust this a little bit but anyways again Plenty of SEC madness. Feels like we're talking about them uh, each and every week. It's a testament to the quality of the conference. We're going to rapid fire through these now. I'm just going to go one take from each of you. Curious what you think. Let's go to Oklahoma State, a team all of us were very fond of heading into this season. They've struggled, but big weekend for them. They knock off Oklahoma 4-2 in Norman. They take the doubles point, then gets victories at the number one, number two, number three singles position. They also knock off a testy Memphis team 4-1. That's a good victory for Oklahoma State trying to rack up wins. I believe they also almost knocked off TCU today, but in the end, TCU, I believe a 5-2 victory. And Was that TCU or Texas A&M? No, Texas A&M. Excuse me. Yeah, A&M, not TCU. Again, A&M them. They win the doubles. They win the six first sets. They end up dropping that match. But I don't know. I'll go to you first, Maddie. Uh, you then, Chris. Reaction to this Oklahoma State weekend? Yeah. So one thing that jumps out, and I'd like an explanation here. I mean, clearly he's not playing well. But Dominic Kolobsky playing number four yeah. and not winning and losing. Um, that's a bit of a surprise to me. I never would have expected that, but clearly he's not playing well because he's not winning his matches at number four. So I don't really know what's going on there. This is just, it's an interesting team, right? Because it's totally like, it's a hundred percent, you know, international team. These guys, we don't always get to see them play. Um, and, and again, I just, you know, Vossel obviously at the top is good and Korsgaard coming in from Virginia Tech. That was a good pickup. But just throughout their lineup, 
I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of iffy. And if Kolovsky's not playing that well, then that's a problem. I mean, that was a guy that I expected to really play number two solidly at number two and, and pick up a lot of wins there. So yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, they're not, they're really not as big of a threat um, as I thought they would be. Chris. Yeah. I'd say overall year to date, still disappointed. I mean, expected to see them challenging inside the top 15 and and all they've really shown is that they're give or take a couple spots like a 20-ish type school right uh and i'm with maddie that when i watched i was watching uh you know the score lines that on the oklahoma oklahoma state match very closely and the first thing that jumped out at me is we had kolofsky and manlick at four both of kolofsky used to play one at arizona state manlick played one earlier this year for oklahoma uh, I mean, two guys like how far the mighty have fallen, right? Um, yeah, and and Kolofsky's a guy that just hits the snot out of the ball, and and you could easily could just mentally not be there. It could be an all or nothing for him, right? So I think if you catch him really into it, and he wants, you know, and he's into the match, wants to win on a good day, he's really good. But uh, that's not always the case there. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think m- more to come. They might show us something against some of the bigger schools. Uh, in the Big 12 because they have potential, but they just haven't shown it yet. Mm-hmm. No, I think you guys nailed it on the head so we can end the Oklahoma State conversation there. Here's the segue into Chris's corner, and of course we're going to hit a Chris's corner this week because you look at some of these results last week. You said keep an eye on Virginia Commonwealth University, also known as VCU, as they were traveling to Arizona. Well, VCU knocks off Arizona State 4-3 in their first matchup. They end up taking wins at the number two, four, five, and six singles position. I believe those wins at two, four, uh, and six, all three set matches. You also had a fantastic stretch of matches from University of South Florida, Ashley Fisher and the Bulls earning a 4-3 win over SMU playing TCU. That's the one who played TCU today awfully close before dropping that match 5-2. And then the heartbreaker that gets us into Chris's corner, 4-3 victory for USF over Liberty University. Chris, take it away. Well, yeah, that that was a tough one. It was, I mean, clearly Liberty and underdog there, USF did their job and they played well, but it was a match that was there for Liberty to win. And I, and I think honestly for the Liberty guys, uh, it was a good, they took it well because they had a Florida road trip where they played USF first and then went on to FAU, also a good school. FAU was drawing votes in the coaches poll prior to this. Um, And I think, you know, that was a little bit of uh, a little bit of added uh, incentive for them to show, Hey, that we belong there, not, not FAU. And, yeah, they go down 4-3 to USF. USF, as always, uh, plays great doubles under Ashley Fisher, a doubles guy himself. Uh, and, you know, they they played very well, as they did all weekend. Liberty goes down, loses their number two guy, doesn't bring their number four guy on the trip, goes to FAU and still handles them. So still a very encouraged for the Liberty guys. I think, you know, I, I don't know how things will work out in the coaches' poll. I think they've got a good shot at may, at cracking the top fifty this week. Uh, it's just they they really they've shown now that they deserve to be there. But USF uh, to me, super impressive the way they fought back. It wasn't looking good against SMU. The fight they put into that match against TCU. I mean, they had TCU on the ropes. They you know t- for a second there, 
TCU. It was three two TCU up. They were up a break in the third on six, and S or USF gets it back to four all, and we're wow. Now now it's tight, and then they pull away uh, on the other remaining court. But but yeah, they played a great match there, uh, and I'm very impressed with with USF and what I've seen from them so far. Mm-hmm. And no. to your point, VCU, yeah, I mean. I'm not going to say that we called a win or anything, but we just said, hey, watch for them. They were really good closing in last year. They got a late start this year to their season, didn't even begin playing until late February. And so this was their first real test, had been great up until it, and they passed the test. They get a big win at Arizona State. Yeah, no, again, it was a fantastic week. The only other result, my match of the week, well, it's a twofold match of the week for me, A, you know, these are two programs nearing uh, their are rounding out their final seasons, and it's the first of two two dual matches they're going to play. Minnesota four three victory at Iowa. They end up taking the doubles point, getting wins at two five and six. Obviously, you'd love to see the four three match for these kids. Uh, get them as competitive of matches as possible uh, as they try and unfortunately round out these programs, but. Some good news, I suppose, for all of us college tennis fans to enjoy. And we talked about this when we did our mailbag podcast a couple of months ago about what's going on down at Georgia Gwinnett. Well, you look for the Georgia Gwinnett program, 183 all-time. Let me say that again, 180-180 wins, three losses since the program started in 2013. This past Monday, they set the NCAA record with their 138th consecutive victory in front of a standing room only crowd, which we won't discuss that right now, but again, speaks to the excitement they've built around the program as they knock off, I believe it was the University of the Cumberlands in Kentucky. Uh, Again, they're 15-0 on the season, wins over NAI. IA teams ranked 2, 4, 8, 10, 11, 13, 14. They beat everyone. We got a question, Chris, and I know you've addressed this before, so if you can give me the synopsis version. 138 wins is obviously ridiculous. If this Georgia Gwinnett team were a Division One team, how would they stack up? I mean, this year, in the past, they'd have been much, they, they had, they could have been, you know, in the top 50. I don't, I don't know that they're, in they've NCAA had some really, team, though. Yeah, yeah, they they could have been into the NCAA's at the lower end when they would have could have won a, con, a small conference to to get in as well. Uh, but they've always been able to uh, they've always been able to draw the guys like Kevin Confederac, Jordan Cox at the tops of the at the top of the lineup that'll put them to be very competitive with some schools. But the depth to get that six deep and compete with like a you know a bunch of schools in the SEC or you know where you know kind of the region they're in there is is really tough to go that far this year though. No, this year they're, you know, they're a 80, uh, you know, 80 plus ish type school, uh, if you will. But for where, with the teams they're playing, the lineup's still tremendous. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And again, you know, this season, if they play, I don't know, let's say Arkansas, Arkansas is a bad example. If they played Vanderbilt, who are you taking straight up? Georgia Gwinnett or Vanderbilt, Chris? Oh, I'm taking Vandy. Maddie, you're shaking your oh, head. You're taking... Oh, yeah. no. Qu- I mean, that's easy. 
Yeah, so that's the comparison to the person who asked the question. Is this year they're a little off, but obviously we are well aware of what's going down down there. And yeah, it's just a fantastic program. Someone's going to hire Chase Hodges to come coach their Division One program, and it's going to uh, be a ravaging success. Uh, we also, by the way, got a ravaging, a raging success. We also, by the way, got a question for us to break down the Illinois-Michigan match. We're going to save that for next week, since that match is next week and. Rather than have that discussion twice, we'll just have it when we preview all of the week ahead for two weeks from now's matches. But let's look at the matches we had have ahead of us this week. And again, we'll just quickly go through them. A bunch of fun matchups across the board. You look for Arizona. They take on Texas. They take on Baylor. They take on Oklahoma. You look uh, for, you know, again, some of the other fun matchups. You've got TCU, Florida, Wake versus Georgia, Middle Tennessee State versus Bama. As you mentioned, Chris, you've also got a really fun one next Next Tuesday, which we will record after USC taking on Stanford. I know all of us will be locked in on that match. You've also got Ole Miss versus Oklahoma State. I believe NC State, South Carolina. Maddie, what are the things you're going to be watching most closely? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much just hit on a man. I mean, all of those matches are going to be fantastic. How about TCU Florida? I mean, at Florida, look, I, I mean, that's a match where the way that TCU performed recently against USF, you're going, oh, man. I mean, it, could Florida potentially blow them out? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, but that match is coming up tomorrow, actually. So we'll we'll see that one here shortly. But, yeah, over the weekend, tons of good matches as usual. I think NC State, South Carolina could be very interesting, um, you know, along with all the other ones you mentioned. I'll be tuning in. Chris? Yeah, my thoughts. So, so we've got a team, and I'm sure you'll be able to tell who this is, but I won't say it initially. Team that's only got one loss trying to prove themselves here listen to the schedule for the remainder of the year baylor texas oklahoma usc ucla cal stanford is it arizona yeah yeah utah arizona state that's crazy like other than the utah match it's ridiculous. I mean, they they could like you know. Well, if they prove. By the way, if Johannes Monday's the best freshman in the country, Gustav Storm's in the top five. Yeah, Strom's been a, he's strong, been outstanding. Me, yeah, but but they're yeah they. I mean, outside of that Utah match, you could make an argument that they could lose every single one of those matches. Yeah. Now that's not going to happen, but I mean, that's a ridiculous schedule for the rest of the year. So so yeah, they may only have a, a loss in the season so far, but we're going to learn about them starting Wednesday. No, it's going to be amazing because LSU is going to be ranked higher than them. And it's going to be like, oh, so we're just going to punish teams for playing this unbelievable schedule? Like, that's ridiculous. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's going to be, again, a really fun home stretch and really fun week of college tennis. With that in mind, again, we got to get Maddie tucked in. So let's get to our final segment. It is our top 10 updated Crack Rackets rankings. I'm going to buy us some time as Chris pulls up his spreadsheet again. For the sake of brevity, I appreciate that. We can all assume North Carolina undefeated, unchanged in their position at the top of all of our rankings. The question is, how much do we punish Baylor for their loss this weekend at Texas A&M? We'll start with you, Maddie. Did you punish them? Do we have a new number two team for you? Uh, We do. My number two team is Virginia. The Virginia Wahoos are my number two team. I just, I like what they've done all year. Yes, I know they lost to Illinois without Kova, but I just, I'm really high on this team. I I think 
you know, I don't even think that we've seen the best of Virginia yet. They could be getting even better. Um, I think right now, and again, of course, it's always fluid, right? I say this every week, but this is just at this picture in time, um, I'll take Virginia number two. Chris, you had a look on your face that made you seem upset. You also have them there? No chance. No <laughs> penalty to Baylor. They're still number two. You know what's I funny? Don't... You're you're the professor. I agree. I also have them number two. Make yeah, the I'm just shocked that Maddie, you know, maybe he's feeling like he doesn't want to play favoritism here. <laughs> There's, there's no, but uh, yeah, I can't, I can't go there yet. Uh, I still think Baylor, in my mind, is is number two. One loss on the road, sprained ankle for Boyton. Spencer coming back from injury. I still think their resume is as impressive as any in the country. They're still my number two team. Look, those are the caveats that we mentioned before, but you can't factor that really into the rankings. I can't. Right? I mean, well, okay, I'm not going to do it. They still <laughs> lost. They yeah, still- I'm not. I'm- I don't care. Yeah, there's no excuses for me. I don't no, care about I'm the I'm saying that's why I don't punish. I, I still, I still yeah, take them. I'm not. You, yeah, I don't. I don't factor in excuses into my rankings. Like we go by wins and <laughs> at least I do. I go by wins no, and losses. What yeah, have you but done? You judge so. the loss by its context, and I'm saying I'm not going to punish them for a loss to a Texas A&M team that on its best day can beat anyone. That's what I'm saying. Like they're two losses and or also three losses. lose to Arkansas. Yeah, that's true. But again, I'm going to keep Baylor at two. I assume you have yeah, them number three. So it's not you have no, them drop for. Oh, I, I don't. No, 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 right, no, no. Give no, me no. number three then. Florida, Florida Gators, man. Florida has been. What did I just get done saying about Florida? This team right now has an argument to really probably be number two. Really, I, I, I could have moved them up to two. I think they're playing as good as anybody in the country. Um, yeah, I've got the Gators at number three. I love it, Chris. I like it, and I think the computer even has Florida at number two. But uh, but I, I'm I'm not there. I still have Virginia number three. You know, do I want to pull a fast one on you guys? No, you know you have Virginia number three. Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I have Virginia number three, and you just made the point. The hottest team in the country, Florida, I have moved up to number four because they continue to back it up, and I just I can't justify keeping them outside of that top four any longer. So Florida now works their way into the top four. Chris, I'm going to assume you have them in that spot as well. Maddie, or sorry, is that a yes from you? Yep, yep. I do. Maddie, your number four team is this where Baylor falls in? Because if you have them dropping out of the top four, that might be too much. I have Tennessee at number four. Tennessee at number four. So right behind Florida, I've got North Carolina one, Virginia two, Florida three, Tennessee four. Yeah, I mean, I Nick, have you need five. to call. You need to call your older brother, Nick. There's something, something yeah. fishy in Raleigh. Woodson, hey, this, is one, send- this is one week. Look, look, look. Hey, guys, next week it could all be different. It could all be different. These are not final rankings. This is not end all be all. This is one week in time. That's it. That's fair. Again, that's it's, it. It's fair. I mean, you're their toughest critic, which deservedly so, because you watch them closer than anyone. I have Tennessee number five because, yeah, they lost to Florida, but they beaten pretty much everyone else. And so I agree with you. I don't think you can – I just think that's your that top five makes a lot of sense to me. UNC, Baylor, Virginia, Florida, Tennessee. I feel really good about my top five this week, Chris. I imagine yours is rounded out the same. Yeah, I also have Tennessee five. So then, Matt, you're number five team. I have Baylor five. So we all okay. have the same top five teams. It's just a slightly different order. Yeah, that's fair. Completely fair. Um, all right. Now things get interesting. 
and I'm going to go first. And initially I had them at number four, and then I was like, wait. Florida and Tennessee have been so good this year. You cannot Don't justify putting them at four. But I have put the Wolverines at six. Their only loss is to Baylor. Like, can we just clarify that? Their only loss is to Baylor. And, yes, and their only, only win, win is over Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's a good win. It's a really nice win. First one in 20 years for them. So I'll take it. I have the Wolverines at six. Maddie. Uh, I do not have the Wolverines at six. I have the TCU Horn Frogs at number six for me. Yeah, it's a pretty good pick. It's fair, and it kind of speaks to what do you think of Ohio State as well. Uh, depending on how fondly or not fondly you think of them, that's how much value you put in this Michigan win. Chris, where do you have the uh, not where do you have the Wolverines? Excuse me, where are you at six? Yeah, that's a really good question. I forgot to factor in that you were going to overrate them, so I needed to <laughs> underrate them to counteract it, and I didn't. So now I feel really bad about where I have them. But I have, uh, as Maddie does, I have TCU at number six. Okay. I mean, I have TCU seven, so it's not like I disagree that much. But, I mean, TCU plays a lot of heart attack matches of late. And I know they're a little bit banged up, and that's kind of their thing. But, whew, I mean... <laughs> Come on, Coach Rodini. Stop doing that to my blood pressure. Um, yeah, I mean, I have them at seven, so not far off. Maddie, who's your seven? My seven would be the Texas Longhorns. So I'm sliding. Like Basically what I did was I punished Ohio State. I've moved Michigan in, and I slid everyone else up. That's all I've really done here. What I did with mine compared to last week it's been pretty simple. I've just moved some teams out and shuffled them, you know, up a little bit, but I have Texas moving up in my rankings up to number seven. I believe last week I had them at number eight. Chris. I did the exact same thing Maddie did. I've got Texas at seven. You guys are so boring. I have Texas at eight. No, I'm just kidding. It's literally exactly the same. Yeah, I, I don't. Again, this is where do I slide in Michigan? I value their performance justifiably uh, a little bit more. Uh, and again, they've only I don't have to make the case for Michigan. We talked about them enough at the top. Um, yeah, I have Texas eight. Who do you have there, Maddie? At eight. Okay. I have your Wolverines at number eight. Okay. So we agree so, on the top eight schools. Yeah. I, I had to put them in the top 10. Look, I had Ohio State last week ranked in the top five. Mm-hmm. I've slid them back. So obviously, Michigan coming outside of the top 10, I'm bringing them into my top 10 rankings. I have them at number eight. I, I think that's a, a pretty fair spot. Um, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable putting them that much higher because, like Chris said earlier, they haven't really played that much of a schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's completely fair. Uh, it's justified. And again, uh, you look at these top eight teams, you and I have the same eight. Chris, are you with us? You have the same eight? I, I am. I'm right there with uh, with yes. Maddie. I've got Michigan at eight. I think that's going to slide. I, I don't know how you I don't know how you make the argument any other way. Clearly, you've got to put them in front of Ohio State. Right. Uh, and and you've got to put Ohio State in front of Illinois, and then you've got A&M and USC that have kind of, eh, so, I mean, Michigan just kind of has to rise to the top of that bunch. Yeah, that's fair, and you talk about the next bunch. You mentioned all the teams I was in consideration for those 9-10 spots. Ohio State, Illinois, A&M, USC. I've seen these teams play in person a bunch, and so I just feel strongly about them. I also... Just the A and M, the ups and downs. It's very USC ish, and you, you, when you're taking the best of the bunch, I have Ohio State nine, Illinois ten. Maddie, you're shaking your head. You agree with me? 
I, I do. That's exactly what I have. I think that's really the only way to go. To me, yeah. A&M, by losing that match to Arkansas, I had to Screw drop them out. They, yeah. they were in there after the Baylor match, but then they bumped right back out. I had to knock them out. USC, ah, I just, I, I can't do it. I think it's fair based on resumes and what I've seen. Ohio State and Illinois have been very good. Here's the difference. Ohio State and Illinois don't have a single bad loss. And Ohio State only really has one good win, and it's their win over Illinois. But Illinois, with the wins over UVA and USC, they just deserve that 10th spot over those other two teams, in my opinion. Maddie, you're shaking your head in agreement. Chris, your last two spots. Yeah, I match you guys exactly. It's Ohio State and Illinois. Yeah, again, it, it, it is finally took us two and a half months the picture's starting to become a little bit clearer. And thankfully, we don't go 25 teams deep because, A, it would take us six hours, but, B, uh, things get murkier as we go along. But, again, that's your top 10. I think I can guess what our top 10s are going to look like. But, Chris, let me know when the numbers are crunched and give us our official top 10 for the week. Uh, yeah, t- we, we actually have a tie in there. So I got I think we uh... – I think we've resolved that tie in the past by putting the team who was higher in two of the three there. So I'll do that. Uh, clearly, North Carolina one, Virginia two, Baylor three, Florida four, Tennessee five, TCU six. And here's where the tie after resolve comes in. Uh, Texas seven, Michigan eight. Ohio State 9, Illinois 10. So we got to stop giving Maddie so much credit because I'm pretty sure, again, it's it, – well, I guess he's wrong there. He's one off, but it always seems to be closest to Maddie's. He's always the one splitting the difference. Um, although, Chris, you did pretty well there as well. Not too bad. It exactly matches mine if you just swap uh... – Virginia and Baylor? Well, yeah, it's actually that it's the two, three, four. Yeah, we're all different in that two, yeah. three, four, just because Maddie put them down at five. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. So we're all a little off. But again, that feels right. Certainly, with the, yeah. the strength of Florida, that 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 does feel pretty accurate. And it does feel like, by the way, those top five teams. And it was funny because we said coming into the season there were going to be five teams. We thought it was going to be UNC, uh, Baylor, but we thought they were going to be joined by USC, Ohio State, uh, and and Wake Forest. Now, obviously, those teams have been subbed out for Virginia, Florida in Tennessee for now, but again, a ton of good teams across the country. The level of college tennis continues to be outstanding, and we've got another outstanding week of play ahead of us. With that in mind, I can see the look on Maddie's face. He said everything he's had to say. I believe the professor has said everything he had to say, so I will just remind all of you a huge thank you to our friends at Turna for their support of the show, and a huge thank you, as always, to the super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. If you want to catch up on anything pro-circuit-related, anything throughout the tennis world, be sure to go check out our website, crackedrackets.com, like, rate, subscribe, review to all the shows, as always. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-hosts, Matt Stokowiak and Chris Helios, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Turna, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? Hey. Hey. Great shot. Great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>